We are in a teaching series called Because He Loves. And Christelle kind of already preached my sermon for me this morning without knowing it. She didn't know what I was going to preach on today, but everything she shared at the beginning of the service was a a perfect setup for what we're going to get into. But this is a teaching series on healing and pressing in for healing, uh, but we really want to press in on the basis of that Jesus loves us and that he heals because he loves, just like that song that we just sang. And our goal in this teaching series is that we would find balance, that yes, we would have faith to press in, but that we would also have sound doctrine. We're not just going to make stuff up and give people false hope just because we want to believe for big things. And so we're trying to find that balance. And so last week, we looked at some of those false doctrines to kind of understand it so that we can identify it when we hear it. But then we looked at what does the Bible tell us about the atonement and that we find healing in the atonement and we find healing through the atonement. Every promise of God that we have is available because of Jesus shed blood on the cross, because of the price that he paid. And so we should believe for every promise even when we don't see every single one just the way that we want it. Amen? And we also took the burden of shame off of you that if you have confessed your sins to one another and prayed for one another and you're not healed, then that means that your sickness is not related to sin and I don't want anybody carrying that bondage around. Amen? So that's what we did last week. So this week, part two is called the kingdom of love. The kingdom of love. We're going to look at healing from the perspective of the kingdom of love. And you can find your sermon notes in the bulletin. They're on the church app. They're attached to this video on our website. And they're attached to this podcast if you're listening to the audio. Here's our big picture point today in our sermon notes. In God's kingdom, we don't just look for a certain way that God is going to heal us. We look for all the ways he is loving us. We're not just looking for a miracle that looks a certain way. We're looking for all the ways he's loving us. And I want to share a a personal story to, to illustrate this. I've shared before, and many of you know, that for about a three-year period, Shannon and I uh, lived in poverty. Uh, we, we were living by faith. We had a call to do a ministry. That ministry wasn't paying us any money, but we did it anyway because that's what God told us to do, and we struggled. And through that journey, we persevered, but we had moments of discouragement, moments of depression. One of us was down, the other would try to lift up, and then the other was down, and we would try to, and, you know, it was just a difficult season. And, and uh, you know, our, our, our minivan was repossessed. We had to live off a credit card and rack up a bunch of debt, and it was just, it was challenging. Well, about halfway through that season, I had booked several speaking engagements at, at youth summer camps and, and different churches throughout the summer, and we figured we're broke. There's no point paying rent if we're not living there. So what we did is we moved everything we owned into a storage unit, packed up a bunch of stuff into a little 2000 Toyota Corolla, had a roof topper on it. And we lived out of that Toyota Corolla for two months as we traveled around the western United States speaking at all of these camps. At that time, I think maybe Andrew was six and and Rachel was three. And uh, uh, one of the camps I spoke at, 
I was speaking at the teen camp, but there was also a children's camp, so Andrew got to be a camper at the camp. And like many six-year-olds at kids' camp, he had a, a moment of emotional meltdown. And so they called us into his cabin, and we went in there, and he's crying, and he's crying. And, and we're like, what's going on, bud? And he's just like, I just want to go home. And being the master encourager that I am, I said to him, hey, bud, we don't have a home. So that didn't help, okay? So anyway, we're in this season. And as part of this trip, we ended up at Oakland, and, and we went to Shiloh Church because we've got relationship there with Shiloh Church and, and a lot of the leaders. And it just so happened, on the Sunday we were there, the guest speaker was Eric Butler. Now, we know Eric Butler because he was here a year and a half ago, and he spoke and prophesied. And Eric Butler is a good friend of mine, and I say his name because I don't think he did anything wrong. I'm sharing about what I did wrong in this process, okay? So you got to understand that in this process, basically, I was praying desperate prayers every day, like, God, could you just drop off a big box of cash on our doorstep, okay? I mean, like, I would have taken a check in the mail, but a big box of cash would have been cooler, right, just to show up on the doorstep. And so that was my prayer over and over. Lord, could you just come through? Could we just get that miraculous breakthrough, that, that, that provision, that money? And it never came. And so we're at this church service, and Eric Butler is preaching, and he is sharing testimony about building a new church building. His church is in New Jersey, and about how all of this money miraculously came through, and they were able to build this new facility. And as he's giving this testimony and preaching, he just kept saying, whoo, God sure loves me. Man, God loves me. God is so good to me. And Shannon and I walked out of that service so discouraged and so defeated because we're like, why doesn't God love us? Because we're praying for financial breakthrough just like he was, and we didn't get it. The problem was is that through that journey, God was loving us in so many beautiful ways. He was providing for us. There was relationships. There were people that were encouraging us. There were miracles. We were doing effective ministry and saving kids' lives. Like there were so many ways that God was showing that he loved us. But I had gotten it in my head that the only way that he would show me that he loved me was a big box of cash on my doorstep. And so I didn't feel loved. And I missed the whole point. Are you guys with me? So we're not just looking for a miracle that looks a certain way or comes when we want it to come. We're looking for all the ways that God loves us. Now, I will testify that that big box of cash did come, not literally, but after three years of struggling and scraping by, a, a rich businessman from the local community sponsored our ministry and, and wrote us some huge checks and, and supported us for a couple of years. So it did happen, but it didn't happen when I wanted it to. So we're not just looking for the miracle when we want it or how we want it. We're looking for all the ways that God is loving us. So let's dig into the Bible and, and see how this plays out. Let's talk about healing and the kingdom of God. 
I want to teach you a, a, a principle, a, a literary principle. It's actually called inclusio, or what I think makes more sense is it's called bracketing. And this is a biblical literary device that marks the beginning and the ending of a section with the same phrase or story. So basically, you see a phrase, several chapters later, you see the same phrase, and so you know that that phrase is bracketing a section of the Bible, and whatever that phrase is, is pointing us to what is significant about that section of the Bible. So for example, uh, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, it is prophesied that you would call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. And then at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, lo, I am with you always. It's the same phrase at the beginning and the end of the Gospel of Matthew, which is pointing us to everything in between, which is that Jesus, that God has come to dwell among us. In Mark, there is the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. And Mark tells the beginning of the story, and then a little while later, he tells the end of the story. But in between, he talks about Jesus cleansing the temple. And so the bracketing is supposed to point us to the fact that we are to interpret his cleansing of the temple in light of the fig tree story. Are you guys following me? So that's bracketing. So I want to get to a specific bracketing uh, that, that's going to guide us in our teaching today. And that is in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, you could break the Gospel of Matthew up into different sections. Obviously, we have the birth of Jesus. And then we have the beginning of Jesus' ministry where uh, he goes and gets water baptized by John the Baptist, goes into the desert for 40 days uh, and fasts and prays and is tempted by the devil. And then he comes out of the desert and we get to Matthew 4.23. And from Matthew 4.23 until the end of Matthew chapter 9, that is a section that is bracketed. We would call that section, Jesus does the ministry. Because everything in that section is just Jesus' ministry. The very next section, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus empowers his disciples to do the ministry. Are you guys following me? So let's look at this bracket in Matthew 4 and Matthew 9, and let's see where it points us. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Right, Matthew chapter 4. Now let's go to the end of Matthew chapter 9 and let's see the same phrases. Jesus was going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness, uh, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Hey, guess what that Greek word is for felt compassion? Splonknizomai, my new favorite Greek word that we learned last Sunday. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. This is our bracket, and everything inside that bracket 
points to this ministry that is described in these verses. So let's talk about what did Jesus' ministry include. Uh, You're going to see two uh, blanks in your notes, and those two blanks are verbal and miracles. Verbal and miracles. Let's talk about the verbal part of his ministry. It included the declaration of the kingdom, and teaching the principles of the kingdom, right? It says Jesus went around declaring the kingdom of God. That was his sermon. He repeated it over and over again. And then he would teach the principles. Because what's right in the middle of Matthew 4 and Matthew 9 is the Sermon on the Mount, the most significant sermon that was recorded by Jesus. So he went around and verbally declared the kingdom of God and then taught the people the principles of the kingdom of God. The second part of his ministry was the miracles. And why the miracles? Well, first, because the miracles were the demonstration of the kingdom. I believe that's another blank in your notes. The demonstration of the kingdom. Jesus declared the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he demonstrated it. And the people of Israel would have been expecting this because let's look at Isaiah. And in one of the times when Isaiah was prophesying the Messiah and the restoration of Israel and the restoration of Jerusalem, it says this in Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah or streams in the desert. Right? So the people of Israel knew that when the kingdom of God came, it would come with healing. The blind would see, the deaf would hear, the mute would shout for joy, the lame would leap like a deer. They were expecting this. And so when Jesus came and declared the kingdom, he demonstrated it with healing and with miracles. In Luke chapter 5, it tells the story of four friends that brought a paralytic to Jesus. And they couldn't get through the crowds, so they climbed up on the roof, lowered him down through the roof. And Jesus sees this man on a mat lowered down in front of him. And the first thing that he says to this man is, son, your sins are forgiven you. That's not what his friends were expecting. And, of course, the religious leader said, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, he looks at the man and says, rise up and walk. He healed him as a demonstration that the kingdom of God had come. John chapter 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So the Hebrew mindset was that sickness was always attached to sin, right? They didn't question who it's, whether somebody had sinned. They just wanted to figure out who it was. Was it him? Was it his parents? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Right? It was so that God would be glorified in his healing. Jesus declared the kingdom, and then he demonstrated the kingdom with healings. 
And then we see this pattern continue in Matthew chapter 10 when he sends out his disciples. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then skip down to verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Jesus gives his disciples the same ministry. He says, declare the kingdom and then demonstrate the kingdom. Mark 16, we see the same thing. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. They were faithful to preach the gospel and Jesus was faithful to work through them to confirm their preaching by the miraculous. Right? We see this pattern over and over again. Declare the kingdom and then demonstrate the kingdom. Now listen, I am not a formula guy. Right? If anybody tells you that there is a formula to follow and if you follow it, you'll get your answers to prayer every time, don't listen to them. They're just selling you something. All right, I'm not a formula guy, but we can follow patterns. And this is a pattern that we can follow. We declare the kingdom, and then we see the kingdom demonstrated. What does that mean? Well, if we want to see more miracles, maybe we should be declaring the kingdom more. And this gets back to our pioneer spirit that we're talking about here at Kauai Bible Church that we've got to get back out on the streets sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus with people. And if we will step out in faith and declare the kingdom of God is at hand when we're working with somebody who's unsaved and in distress, and if we love them and pray for them and demonstrate the kingdom through our prayers for them, we'll probably see more miracles. Again, we won't see every answer to our prayers, but we'll probably see more miracles. If we want more demonstration, let's have more declaration. That's not in your notes, but it should be. You should totally write that down. God just gave that to me. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20, he wrote, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Come on. We declare the kingdom and we see the demonstration. Jesus performed miracles as a demonstration of the kingdom, but he also performed miracles simply because he loved. Right? Not every miracle has to have a purpose. Sometimes the miracles are just because Jesus loved. 
right? In Matthew 9, 36, it says he was moved with compassion for those who were distressed and dispirited. Jesus is moved by love to help needy people. And sometimes he just heals because he loves. Therefore, healing is a demonstration of the kingdom of love invading our present reality. Come on, let me say it again. Healing is a demonstration of the kingdom of love invading our present reality. Let me read you this quote. I actually put half of this quote uh, in your sermon notes, but uh, I left half of it out for space reasons. But this is Dr. Ken Blue. Uh, He was a Baptist pastor. He was a professor. He was a missionary, did a lot of international work. And he said this, openly receiving healing for ourselves and confidently praying for others rests ultimately in our understanding of who God is. A theology of healing only arises when God is viewed as the one who is concerned about sickness and willing to do something about it. Come on, that's where our theology on healing starts, is that we know that God is love and God is moved by love. And because he is moved by love, he wants to see his kingdom of love expand and and advance. And healing is one of the ways that he does that. So let's talk about the kingdom of love. Now, I'm extrapolating here. The Bible never says the kingdom of love. What the Bible does say is the kingdom of God, and God is love. And so we can extrapolate and say it is the kingdom of love. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So what does this passage teach us? First off, it teaches us that God is love. He doesn't just express love, he is love. He is the full embodiment of what perfect, unconditional love looks like. And God cannot keep that love to himself. And so he manifests his love in the things that he does for us. The biggest thing that he did for us is that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place so that we could be forgiven of every sin. But his love manifests in so many ways in all the things that he does for us. And then it teaches us that God abides in us through the Holy Spirit, right? His spirit is within us. God abides with us, which means that we are able to express his perfect love through similar manifestations. That's what the kingdom of love is all about. God is love. God dwells inside of us, and now we can love people with that same love, and we can minister God's love and express God's love in a variety of ways. 
So now let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul basically says, you can do all sorts of amazing, powerful stuff, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. We're going to look specifically at the second of those three verses where Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. What is he saying right here? He's saying, man, we could be operating in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We could have the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, the gift of healing. We could be praying down powerful prayers and moving mountains and seeing miracles. And if there's not love attached to it, none of it matters. And so we can get caught up in this sometimes, right? We're seeking demonstrations for demonstration's sake. We're seeking power for power's sake. But this is the kingdom of love. If love isn't attached to it, it doesn't matter. Skipping down to verse 8, he says, love never fails. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in parts and we prophesy in parts. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly lit, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love." Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's talk about what Paul is teaching us here. Let's start with love never fails. Love never fails. I talked to you guys last week about part of the motivation for this teaching series was the fact that I had prayed for Pastor Sid and Pastor Sid died. This was a man who meant so much to me, and I had so much faith, and I fasted, and I even flew over to Oahu and laid hands on him in his hospital room. And after he died, I walked away thinking I failed. I laid hands on him. I did what the Bible said to do, and he still died, and I failed. And God spoke to me even this week as I was writing this sermon. And God spoke to me and said, you didn't fail because you loved him and you loved his family. You see, at that time, 2021, there were strict rules about who could go into the hospital. And none of his family, his wife, his kids, none of them fit those rules. So none of them could visit him in the hospital. So when I flew over to Oahu, I was one of the only people who could go in and see him. And I didn't just pray for him. I just sat with him so he wouldn't be alone. And I played worship music because that's so much more beautiful than me singing worship music. Hallelujah. I played worship music. I talked to him about his kids. I wished him a happy birthday from his family. I read scriptures over him. I spent time with him. And then when I walked out of the hospital room, his kids picked me up and I encouraged them and they brought me back to the airport. I loved them. And because of that, I didn't fail. 
love never fails. Come on. Love never fails. As long as we're loving people, even when we don't see all the miracles, we didn't fail. We didn't fail. And I didn't fail the Sumita family, and I didn't fail the kingdom of God. And what I did will have an eternal impact on that family and on that church. Love never fails. The second thing Paul teaches us in this passage is that we don't understand everything that's going on, right? He says we're looking in a dim mirror. We're like children right now. We're thinking like children. And until Christ's second coming, we won't fully understand everything. So right now we prophesy and we speak in tongues and we pray. But when Jesus comes back, we won't have to do any of those things because we will fully understand everything that was happening. But right now, we don't fully understand what's happening. I want to share with you another story, and it's the story of a little girl named Georgia Veach. Some of you may have heard this story. Uh, Chad and Julia Veach are pastors of a church in Los Angeles. Uh, Chad is world-renowned preacher, travels around the world, has raised up this amazing church in Los Angeles. And when they got pregnant with their first baby, when Julia was pregnant, Chad at night would lay hands on her belly and pray over this little girl in the womb and just pray that she would be known around the world, that she would have a ministry that would touch the nations. When this little girl was born at three months old, she was diagnosed with lysencephaly, which is also known as smooth brain syndrome. During development in the womb, the brain doesn't develop any folds in it. It's just smooth. And because of that, it causes traumatic disabilities. And so this little baby was born, and, and they discovered this diagnosis, and they began to pray for miracles and, 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 and pray for her healing. But she was severely disabled, right? She has to eat through a feeding tube, constantly having seizures and, 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 and choking on her own vomit and, and, and needed constant care and attention. And, and, and they, they basically said she would never develop any mentality beyond that of an infant um, and that most children with lysencephaly die before they reached the age of 10 years old. First off, I just want to say this. Georgia Veach is now 11 years old, and she is still alive. She is still severely disabled, lives in a wheelchair, has to be fed, you know, all of those things. God didn't heal her. But here's the thing, because Chad is, is known around the world as, as a preacher, uh, he began to share this story. And guess what? People all over the world started tattooing a G on their hands for Georgia and started praying for Georgia. And everything that Chad had prayed about for this little girl, that she would be known around the world and that she would have a ministry around the world, God fulfilled it. But we don't understand because we don't see clearly. And you can say, well, why didn't God heal this little girl? He's kept her alive. She's made it past the age the doctor said. Why has God not healed her? Because in this process, he has been teaching love. 
Think about it. Chad and Julia are Hollywood through and through. They're tall. They're beautiful. They're fashionable. Their church in Los Angeles is full of pop stars and movie stars. They're just cool, man. They are just so cool. And yet this couple that is totally Hollywood has learned every day how to sacrificially love and that they have to say no to things, trips, and preaching opportunities because they have to sacrificially love this little girl that needs their every attention. And then aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas from the family have gathered around to help them to love this little girl. No, God has not healed her, but he has shown his kingdom of love in beautiful, powerful ways in their life. Listen, we don't fully understand. We don't see everything clearly. We think like a child. And so when we're in the midst of it and we just want things to turn out one way, we got to understand God sees something we don't see. And he's teaching us love in his kingdom right in the midst of it. We're going to skip the next point, Karen, and we're just going to jump right to pursue love first. Pursue love first, then gifts and miracles. I tell you this all the time, but we read the Bible in chapters, but the Bible wasn't written in chapters, right? The Bible was written as a free flow of thoughts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we look at this 1 Corinthians 13 as a chapter. It's the love chapter. It's a, you know, it's great at weddings. It's a, it's a famous chapter. But for Paul, it wasn't a love chapter. It was a free flow of thoughts. And what was the thought right before 1 Corinthians 13? He was teaching the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of healing and of miracles and of faith and of helps and of service and apostleship and prophecy. And he was teaching all of these gifts. And then after teaching the gifts of the Spirit that would operate in the church, his free flow of thought then went to, if you use these gifts without love, it's nothing. And then he describes love, and then he gets to 1 Corinthians 14.1, where he says, pursue love yet desire the gifts of the Spirit. In that order, we should pursue love first, then the gifts and the miracles. So when we pray for someone, first off, don't be shy to declare the kingdom of God. The more we declare the kingdom of God, the more miracles we're going to see. So, you're at your workplace, you're with some friends from the community, you're with a family member, and, and they say, I'm sick, and you say, can I pray for you? And they say, yes, and then before you start praying, you let them know, hey, we're going to pray that the kingdom of God comes, because that's what healing is all about. It's about God who loves us and brings his kingdom into our lives, and then you start praying, right? That's a different step. We usually skip that step. We just go right to praying. So first off, don't be shy to declare that the kingdom of love is at hand. But then when we're praying for somebody, our first priority should be that they experience the love of God. And I know this is not what's normally preached in charismatic churches, right? We're just supposed to call down fire and pray for healing, but no. 
What if when we pray for people, our first priority is that they would experience the love of God? And if this is our priority, we will never fail and we will never be discouraged. Come on. We pray for people and they don't get healed. We get discouraged. But if our ultimate goal was that they felt the love of God, then we didn't fail and we don't have to be discouraged. The Christian author John Ortberg says it like this, to be fully known and fully loved is the most healing gift one human being can give another. And so when we're praying for somebody and declaring the kingdom of God over their lives, we are taking a moment to fully experience them, to fully know them and fully love them. And as long as we're doing that, we will never fail. Then our second priority is that they receive the healing or the miracle that they're asking for. Do we always see it? No. Sometimes people die. Sometimes they don't get better. But we see it a lot. And so we're going to keep asking for it. And we're going to keep pressing in for it. We're going to keep believing for it. We're going to declare the kingdom. We're going to fully know and love that person and pray that they experience the love of God. And then we're going to pray for their miracle and believe for their miracle. But their miracle may not look like what we think it's going to look like. Let me have the worship team come back up today. I want to finish with this quote, and then we're going to press into ministry, and we're going to press into the love of God and miracles. This quote is by a guy named Keys Keesler. I can't imagine that's his real name. I, I feel like Keys is maybe a nickname because his last name is Keesler. I don't know, but his name is Keys Keesler, and he is a pastor and a professor, and he said this, the great hope of Christianity is not that we get to escape all the suffering of the world, but that God is going to use us to be a part of his healing project. Come on. The gospel doesn't free us from experiencing the suffering and the affliction of this world. What the gospel does is make us an agent of God's healing work, even in the midst of that suffering. Kiesler goes on to say, in a world devastated by both natural causes and human causes, we need to be a people who proclaim both in word and deed that God hasn't given up on his creation, but he is at work healing it. Come on. We get to do that. We get to declare that. Yes, it's broken. Yes, there is suffering and war everywhere. And yes, people are hurting. But God hasn't given up. His kingdom of love is at hand. He is healing his creation. At the end of time, when Jesus returns, he's going to usher in a new earth. And we're going to live forever in the perfection of the creation he intended in the first place. But in the meantime, we are going to minister his love and press in to see his many miracles as we can. Amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Whoo! Come on. Jesus, we call upon you, Lord. We pray for the courage to declare your kingdom. We pray for the courage to pray for those desperate, those demonstrations of your kingdom power and authority. But Lord, before all of that, would you give us your love? Holy Spirit, would you awaken a perfect love inside of us? Would you awaken an unconditional love that we would just long for people, that we would be splonk nizomai, that we would be moved to compassion when we see the hurts and the needs of the people around us? 
God, would you move in and through us in such a way that we would be agents of your love and that we would be ministers of your kingdom. And I just pray, Lord, that your kingdom would advance here at Kauai Bible Church, but it would advance around the world because we were passionate to love people and because we had enough faith to believe in healings and miracles. Let your kingdom advance through us, Lord. I pray right now as we move into a time of ministry that, Lord, you would minister love in creative and unique ways. You would minister love through the hands of the altar ministry team. You would minister love through words that we speak to one another. You would minister love simply by comforting our heart even in this very moment. Jesus, we're believing for an outpouring of your love and an outpouring of miracles through Kauai Bible Church. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together.